they become these sort of elegant spiritual exercises that can relieve me of the bondage of self. And I believe that's what each one of these steps do, is they help you get a little more relief from the bondage of self. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That was the voice of Mr. Matthew M. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment on this episode number one. 57 of Sober Speak. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Victoria and Trudy and Gerhard and Tracy and Mark. Do you know what Victoria, Trudy, Gerhard, Tracy, and Mark did? Well, let me fill you in. They went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. Thank you so, so much, Victoria and Trudy and Gerhard and Tracy and Mark for helping us keep the virtual lights on. It is so appreciated. And, And I want to reiterate, and I've said this in the past, and I just want to tell folks again. If you have the choice between donating to my little podcast here, and I'm so appreciative of it when people do, if you have the choice between donating to me and donating to your local groups, put me on the backside of that equation every time. In other words, give to your local groups. That's where the real work is going on, and I want those people to be supported uh, before me. But once again, thank you to everybody who makes a contribution. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this Meeting Between Meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. I came across a saying this week, a little quote, and I thought to myself, self, how would you like to present this to the Sober Speak audience? Why don't we start a new little series? And we're going to call this series, do you remember Saturday Night Live when they had Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy? Well, let's go with Deep Thoughts by John M., even though I'm quoting somebody. I doubt I will continue on with this, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. So here is my deep thought for the week. Focus on the step in front of you, not 
the whole staircase. Focus on the step in front of you, not the whole staircase. And that even makes more sense in our little step-oriented world. When I say our, the recovery community. So anyway, that is your deep thought for the day. We have Mr. Matthew M. on the program today. So Matthew has been sober since May 16th of 1993. And we are calling this series The Twelve Surrenders. So we've been through steps before, uh, and it is basically the same thing, but Matthew refers to the 12 steps as the 12 surrenders. Uh, In other words, we surrender bit by bit as we move through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a pleasure to record this with Matthew. He is genuine. He's insightful. He is articulate. We discuss many things, obviously surrenders one, two, and three, but we also discuss the bondage of self. And as Matthew puts it, the steps are, and I love how he phrases this, an elegant exercise that relieve us of the bondage of self. So listen through to the end to hear the inspiring story that Matt shares regarding his wife and the time she spent in ICU after her stroke and the difficult decision that he had to make during that time. Once again, that's at the end of the episode. And before we get started with Matthew, though, I just have a little treat for you this week, and that treat is a song. A little ditty, if you will, by Jacob H. and his producer and writer, Jimmy Landry. Jacob produced an album that chronicled his time when he was living in the middle of his uh, addiction in New York City uh, and working through the pain, the choices he made, his disease, and he found an angel that carried him through to the other side. He was addicted to meth, and God gave him the moments in his life where the music pulled him back, as he says, from the brink of death. This song by Jacob is called Tip the Bottle to My Angel, and it's about that journey. I played this song a couple, three weeks ago at the end of the episode, but I absolutely love the song, and I want you guys to hear it on the front end of this episode. It'll be about three mu- three minutes. So enjoy Matthew M. immediately following this episode, excuse me, immediately following this song, and we will have plenty, oh, listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy.
So today we are sitting here once again with Mr. Matthew M. So first of all, Matthew, go ahead and say hello and give your sobriety date if you wish and tell folks out there in all four corners of the world where you are located. Hey, John, thank you. My name is Matthew M. Uh, My sobriety date is May 16th, 1993. And I'm sitting in a lovely home in Santa Paula, California, overlooking the valley on a beautiful day. And we have had Matthew on for a couple of episodes before. I think the, the episodes were called Matthew Matthew M. Parts 1 and 2. I got real creative on that. Uh, but I got a ton <clears throat> of feedback uh, about Matthew. And uh, we wanted to get together and... Uh, uh, talk about some other things. And uh, so, Matthew, I know uh, probably the working title of this, I don't know exactly what we're going to call it. We may call it the 12 Surrenders, but you have done workshops uh, uh, all over the world uh, regarding the 12, what you call surrenders. Right. So uh, I'm just going to set it up that way. So first of all, why don't you just go ahead and explain what you believe to be the 12 surrenders and what that means to you and why you do these particular workshops? Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate that. Um, you know, like we were talking about a while ago, I, I when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous 27 years ago, like most people, I was pretty broken and confused just in dealing with life the way I'd been taught to deal with life. And when I got introduced to the 12 steps of AA, I have to tell you, they seemed uh, fairly strange. Um, Strange turned into mysterious as I got a little bit more willing, Uh, but they didn't seem related to my issues. You know, I had real issues. I needed lawyers, guns, and money, like Warren Zevon says, (laughs) you know, and, and they were like saying, you're powerless and do an inventory and character. I was like, what is this? And you know, but I had nowhere to turn. So I did it. I, I did what I was told. And, and there was some evidence around me that something happened in AA that might help me. But now I've been doing this and, and I've been really fortunate. I have not drifted from AA ever. Wherever I've lived, and I've lived in three separate places um, since I got sober, wherever I've gone in the world, I've been able to be participating. So I've had a lot of experience with the 12 steps and helping others and surviving life on life's terms. And in fact, thriving in life uh, when some terrible things have happened and some great things have happened. So I've come to regard these steps as no longer weird and confusing and unrelated. 
they become these sort of elegant spiritual exercises that can relieve me of the bondage of self. And I believe that that's what each one of these steps do, is they help you get a little more relief from the bondage of self. And alcoholism is selfishness and self-centered. It centers in our mind. So I think of the 12 steps as 12, uh, I want to think of how I want to put this, you know, sort of 12 individual surrenders. And they're sort of halting and they're, they're not done completely, you know, but they're invitations to let go invitations to overcome fear, invitations to accept uh, that life is change. And if you accept the invitation, you may find out life can be thrilling and not so scary. So the 12 steps are the 12 surrenders. I just want to, when I do workshops on this or men's retreats, I try to get everybody to look at that and, and work together. We do little things together about the third step and the seventh step. And so is that, is that kind of help? <clears throat> That's very helpful. So, by the way, I loved how you phrased that. They're elegant spiritual exercises that relieve us of the bondage of self. What a wonderful way to put that. Thank uh, you. I, yeah, I just, I absolutely love that. All right. So then, so, so, so you, like you said, you see the steps as small, like one small surrender after the next. Right helping us to relieve the bondage of self. So let's go, I guess we'll go with step one to begin right. with. Like yeah. when you look at step one and the surrender involved in that, um, how do you see it? Okay, good. And, and I've made, I said a little prayer before I called you today because I want to make sure I'm not too conceptual. I want to ground everything in my experience, but for the conceptual part, let's start there <laughs> with um, step one. I love, you know, Bill and Bob and other people that contributed to the writing of the big book chose their words very carefully. And when you see this first step says, we admitted, that word is a concession. I'm conceding something out loud that I have been hiding. I probably knew it already, but didn't want to tell anyone. I'm admitting it. I admit that I'm powerless over alcohol. For some of us, when we do that step, we're admitting it to ourselves for the first time. Uh, my experience is that's the rarity. Mostly we're, we're somebody saying, hey, you might be powerless over alcohol. And you can say, I can admit that after everything I've tried to not drink. Um, and so I'm admitting that I'm powerless over alcohol and that my life has become unmanageable. Now, I come from a school of Alcoholics Anonymous where I was told pretty early on, by the way, your life is never going to become manageable. <laughs> you are not going to ever be invited to interview for the management position of your life. <laughs> and, uh, I, I have occasionally broken into the manager's office and hijacked the computer <laughs> and caused the company to go bankrupt. But the manageability part is that's kind of the beauty too. When you're new, you're like, well, obviously my life's unmanageable. I haven't paid rent in 10 months and no one can come into my apartment because it doesn't make sense. If you look at, <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's sort of a, a fashion way I decorate that it's with empty bottles and strange collages <laughs> from magazines that I made late at night. So, you know, that's easy when you're new, you know, I can't stop drinking and please don't look too carefully at my life. I, I was always comfortable with looking good at a distance, <laughs> but, but that's the conceptual part, right? It's a concession. I, I'm admitting, but as you know, because in the other podcast, we talked about my story on about May 8th or 9th, uh, the day of mother's day in 1993, 
my brother and I had an argument after I ruined Mother's Day for a mother I dearly loved who was terminally ill. So she was dying of cancer. And I went there uh, after three days of drinking. Uh, I made him a scene. I don't know exactly what the scene was. Uh, my brother got me out of there. He was 12 years sober. We had a big fight on the way home. He went his to his apartment and I went into mine determined to fight, finish the fight. And when I called him up and gave him enough time to get home and he answered the phone, I just let him have it. I unleashed years and years of being his little brother, uh, just anger and wrath and rage, you know, that was probably centered a lot in my own fears and disgust with myself at that point. But my brother didn't say anything back to me, uh, except when I was done yelling at him, there was a pause on the phone. And I look back at this time and it feels like it was three minutes, but you who do recording probably know it was about 30, 40 seconds, which can seem like a long time, right? Mm -hmm. And after a, a long period of quiet, my brother said, Matthew, I think you have a problem with alcoholism. And I said, of course I do. Now I admitted it. I didn't know that on May 9th of 1993, after ruining Mother's Day, that I had just made a first step. I just admitted that I was powerless over alcohol and I had been trying daily to stop drinking. I, I, I know this isn't rare in AA. I didn't even like drinking at the end. I just needed it. And I can tell you, like I, I may have said in our earlier podcast, I can tell you what the phone felt like in my hand. I can tell you what the room smelled like. I can tell you what the little flakes of dust in the light slots from the Venetian blinds look like. And I think the reason I'm so, I can go back to that moment so completely is because I think when I did that, when I did that first surrender, I think I got granted access to the present moment where I was standing and what I was breathing in. And there was such a relief and I didn't recognize it and it wasn't conscious, but I do remember how present I suddenly felt when I finally did the first surrender. Hmm. Okay, so that was the first step. That was uh, your first surrender. Uh, and so that changed everything, I guess. Yeah. That was a game changer <laughs> yeah. for you, right? Set the ball and, in motion. Yeah. And so when, when you're working with other guys and you're trying to get them over that hump, so to speak, what is your experience like in that arena? Like Because you have people as you know, who really can't admit to their innermost selves that they're alcoholic, right? Maybe they could say that they're alcoholic, right. but admitting they're powerless over alcohol is like a, it, 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 it's a different sort of conversation. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, thank you for that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, usually when someone ends up in the rooms of AA, if they come of their own volition, right? If it's not a court card or mom and dad spend a lot of money on rehab and now I'm supposed to do this, right? Usually there's some motivation to not drink again. Uh, when I'm working with someone new to get there, I don't have, um, I try very, very sincerely to stick to the literature and not do the as Matthew sees it program. <laughs> but when we're doing things like reading the doctor's opinion and it says, uh, you know, they drink because they like the effects of alcohol, the, the sense of ease and comfort that comes with the first drink, being restless, irritable, and discontent. I, I usually start with saying, does this feel familiar to you, right? I love the line that says, the drink they see others take with impunity. And you can really drill down there like, hey, 
you know, you go out with your friends. Like I had five friends. There were six of us from a Catholic, small Catholic school. We hung out for years. They would never seem to get arrested. They never seemed to lose their car. They were drinking and having fun. You know, they seemed to have, it seemed to be like they were surrounded by bubbles of being taken care of. And I would break out in, in mayhem. But the fact was, I drank more than they did. I, once we started, I would go off by myself and drink afterwards. So when I started, when I'm sponsoring somebody, if they are struggling with, I'm powerless, um, I ask him to give me examples. You know, I actually had a guy in AA who wanted to speak, wanted to be an AA speaker. And that's always really dangerous when someone wants to do that. <laughs> so I let him be my 10 minute speaker and he never mentioned alcohol once. He talked about his bad parents and uh, fear and some cocaine. And so I actually had him write out um, several pages of tell me about times you were powerless over alcohol. And, and I think to, to finish that question is, you also want to pose it as good news. It's like, look, man, you're not a bad person. You don't have bad willpower. You're not weak. Your weak isn't even coming into play. You're powerless over alcohol. And so we just don't do that. You just don't drink alcohol. And I think that leads to the second surrender because they say, how do I not drink alcohol? And that's where we really want to be when we go to the second step. All right, let's talk about the second step then. So the second step is the second surrender. So I'm trying to wrap my head around, you know, I'm, I'm used to saying the second step, right? right? Used to talking about the second step, used to having conversations about it and such. But when I think about it in terms of where you're coming from, the second surrender, talk to me about that. Okay, I appreciate that. And this is good that it's so early in this podcast because- they're not always as blatant as I admitted or we admitted, right? I love the way that Bill chose these words, right? I love that he chose to admit it, but I like that he chose came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, right? So for some people, the first part of that surrender is admitting that they're insane, right? And that's a conversation between the sponsor and the sponsee. I did not have a problem with that. Okay, so let's talk about that real quick. So okay. insane, you know, you hear a lot of different definitions in the right. program, doing the same thing over and over and all that kind of stuff. But right. when you look at it, what insanity is from how the book explains it, so to speak, what, right. what, what, what's your interpretation of it? What, what is Bill trying to get across? Well, the, the first thing that I would say is very fundamental is that when I didn't want to drink anymore in that apartment in Redondo Beach, and I would wake up and say to myself, whatever you do today, do not drink. You know, I had a teenage girl who was pregnant with my child. I had a mother who was dying nearby who I loved. I had bills that I couldn't pay. I had an apartment to clean. I had to get a job. But the first thing I would think of when I opened my eyes, and that might have been at noon or seven o'clock at night, I always fell asleep kind of randomly, right? I was alone a lot, would be don't, whatever you do, don't drink. And I really didn't want to. I could see that the distance between the drink and the problem had been erased. You know, used to be I'd take a drink and pretty quick there was trouble. But after a while, the drink and the problem were the same. And then I would maybe take a shower that day. And, uh, and that's something I didn't do every day. So it was a little bit of a positive step forward. And then the obsession of the mind would in the shower as I'm feeling slightly better about myself would be, hey, I bet if you had a couple beers from the liquor store next door, you'd go see your mom. 
because you seem to not be going to see your mom. And then I had a, a little bit of a light on like, hey, that would be good thing to do to have beer today. And it would just be beer. It wouldn't be gin, you know. Let's just go get some beers. And you do that over and over again. I don't need anyone to tell me you're insane. Because, and, and to put it in a broader spectrum is choosing to hurt myself over and over when there was an alternative to not hurt myself that I rejected every day. Uh, that's insane. And, and I had no problem with that. I, I had been alone a lot before I got sober. I was isolated. Okay. So, and you know, the, I guess the, the thing that goes back and forth in Alcoholics Anonymous is you see people, uh, they'll hear the word insane. They'll go, well, that's not me. I, that's, that's Joe down there. Why no Joe who's right. under the bridge and, you know, is hearing voices and all that sort of stuff. That's not me, but I, I'm always seeing it in terms of, uh, just where alcohol is concerned and the, my behavior around alcohol. Do well, you, yeah. do you, but not only that, I mean, you don't have to scratch the surface too much to get people to tell you about their own insanity. They may not recognize it, right? For instance, I had a guy who told me that, you know, I was, he asked me to sponsor him. I was sponsoring him as I had been sponsored. I read the book with him. And when we got to a step, we worked the step. And he was a kind of a, wanted to argue about the steps and stuff. And one time he said, you know, man, I was never as bad as you, so maybe I don't need to work the program as hard as you. So I just simply reflected back some of his behavior. The time he came into the meeting with two black eyes and he'd been tasered twice that night by the police. <laughs> and I said, I've never had two black eyes. I've never been tasered twice. By the <laughs> you feel that you never got as bad as me. And it's, it's just, you know, it, the thing that's so great about alcoholics and that makes sponsors seem so wise is we just have an objective view of their of their circus, right? And and we've had our own circus. So um, the insanity part, it, it, it to me, if a person really belongs in Alcoholics Anonymous, if you use the Socratic method and just ask enough questions, their insanity will come right out of their mouth. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I heard. Uh, I don't. I'm, you probably know him, Ken D. I heard him say before. Yeah. He says you you really don't have normal people. You just have people who haven't shared with you yet. <laughs> I love Ken. Well, yeah. and I really like to focus on the first part: coming to believe. Can we shift to that? Yeah. So, sure. So because I like that phrase came to believe and I like it more the longer I'm sober because the implication for me when I was new is now my sponsor will convince me to believe. <laughs> you know, we're going to read these chapters, we agnostics and stuff. And and what I've also come to see in the book that I love a lot because I it's funny with COVID I seem to be sponsoring more people. You know, some guys with a lot of time are like I'd like to have a new experience with the steps so I'm I have to get up really early and we're talking on the phone to the East Coast and then work starts and then lunchtime, we're working on the steps. And because I'm in the literature so much lately, I love the book is really both the big book and the 12 and 12 are laid out kind of like this. We're going to ask you to do something. You're not going to want to do it. <laughs> why It's a good idea. Then once you've done that, now we're going to ask you to do something you're going to want to do even less than that. <laughs> And we're going to try to convince you. But what I love about step two, we came to believe, right? And, you know, it's laid out like Bill didn't want to believe. 
Uh, Bob was of a different ilk, but there's a lot of openness and and welcomingness about don't worry about what you think or believe, just be willing. And for me to, to again, to, to make it concrete is when I got sober the day after I got out of rehab, I went home to the apartment where I lived alone and there was a party in it, right? So I couldn't go into my own house. There was cocaine and girls in bikinis and marijuana and, and somebody handed me a beer. So I ran to an AA meeting from my front porch and through a series of events, I, I think I referred to it in the first podcast as grace, I ended up at my mom's and dad's house. So I was not indoctrinated into the steps. I didn't know anything about you know what they meant. Like I said, even when I started reading them on the wall every day, they seemed weird and mysterious and unrelated to me. But I would I woke up the next morning in my parents' house just terrified. Like, Jesus, I'm 31 years old or 30 years old. I'm at my mom's and my dad's house. They're elderly. My mother's dying of cancer. I'm humiliated. They must be humiliated. So I would go out in the morning and tell my dad, hey, I, there's a 7 a.m. meeting. Can I go to this meeting? And he'd say, if you're going to a meeting, just take the car. Don't ask me because my dad knew from my brother that AA worked. So I would just go to the meeting to get away from them because they made me uncomfortable. Nothing they did should have made me uncomfortable. It was in me. And then I would go to AA meetings and meet you guys, and you're way more uncomfortable than my parents. <laughs> you like laughing, and, and somebody would tell some horrible story, and everybody would burst out laughing. <laughs> coffee is terrible and too hot, and everybody's <laughs> hugging each other, and men are hugging each other. And, you know, I, I'm from a rock and roll band. I, I misinterpret almost everything I see happening. In <laughs> and so I get done with the meeting. I'm so uncomfortable now, and I got nowhere else to go. So I drive home to my other uncomfortable place, which is my parents' house. And this happened three times a day for quite a while. You know, I, about noon, I'm coming out of my skin because mom and dad are looking at me funny. They're not, but that's what I'm thinking. And then I go to the noon meeting and then I can't wait to get home. And what happened over time was I started really loving being with my parents. And I started really loving being with you. And I didn't even know I had come to believe that something beyond me was happening in me and making life more palatable. And, and I'll tell you, the result of that is I got to watch my mother and father, Joseph and Dorothy, love each other in the last years of her life in a way that I have not seen since. It was an example and a roadmap to my particular situation about my wife and having to be a caretaker to my wife. But I saw my mother try to love my dad into self-sufficiency, you know, and the only reason the scales fell is I would be going to meetings and sitting there uncomfortably and somebody would tell a raw truth about themselves. And then somebody else at the meeting would say, instead of mocking them or making fun of them for being vulnerable, they would say, I did that. But when I did that, and then they'd make it even kind of worse. And, and I saw this spiritual healing love. So when I got home, I wasn't so self-conscious. I didn't know this was happening to me. I was just going from one uncomfortable place to another. And I came to believe. Mm. All right. So, all right, let me do a quick little break here. Okay. All right. Let you grab a little drink. Thank I, you. Like, Drink, drink, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're not gonna do that today. Tomorrow, <laughs> gosh, that'd be really wild if somebody actually took a drink while they were on the podcast. Here, I, I, almost, I, would, I wouldn't know what to do. I almost threw up at a podium once, I was ill, and I thought, well, if I did that, they'll never forget me. 
We will be continuing our conversation with Matthew M. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. And also at that uh, place, you can find our donate button on our website if you wish to use it, if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Matthew M. By the way, I I did interview somebody on the podcast, or her name was Brittany, and this was probably a few months back now or so, and she mentioned that her she went to uh, a meeting and her sponsor, her eyes just all of a sudden just rolled up right in the back of her head. And, you know, she passed away right there in front wow. of the group. And wow. uh, it was pretty uh, traumatic. But yeah, uh, yeah. anyway, a bit, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that was memorable as well. But, oh, gosh. Uh, can you imagine? Way to go. Sandy yeah. Beach died at an AA meeting, and I bet that's exactly what he wanted to do. Did he die at an AA meeting? He I read didn't know that. And he laid his head down on the table and a doctor in the group recognized what was happening. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I think he probably loves that. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. So on to, now, do you want to say anything else about the second surrender before I you go on? To that let's go All on right. to three. All right, let's go on to the third surrender. So as you know, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So now we have the the third surrender. Um, Talk to me about that and how you see that. Well, So this one's a little more obvious. So the first step we had admitted, that's your one little key surrender word. Second step, a little bit more nuanced, right? Came to believe. Third step, I'm turning my will and my life over. Isn't that the definition of surrender? Yeah. And But there are several definitions of surrender in the Webster's Dictionary. And the one I like is to yield to the power. Surrender means to yield to the power. So when I think of step three, I'll talk about it conceptually again, about how I see it now. And then I'll tell you about concretely my experience. And that experience, hopefully, more than just as a newcomer, because we know step three is continuous, but, you know, came to, I turned my will in my life over the care of God as I understood him. I think the interesting thing there is it's very hard to know what that means and what that, what you do to do that. And the book is pretty clear. If anybody's having a chance to hear Charlie P talk about it, um, there is that space after the ABCs, you know, God couldn't, would if he were sought. Now we're at step three that describes it. You know, I'm going to have a new employer. I'm going to, you know, but basically what you're saying is that it's really making room for the unmanageable part, right? I am not going to get to interview for the management position. We have now broken it to the newcomer. He does not get to resume being in charge of his life. <laughs> if he really does the steps or she does the steps, it has to do with a, a constant uh, posture of willingness, which is a posture of surrender, right? And what does that look like? So, I'll just give an example of that from AA for me, but I also want to talk about the actual third step. When I was um, pretty well, probably six months in, maybe a little longer, I had a couple of jobs. I was at my parents' house living. 
I was trying to pay child support for this baby that I had with this girl. Um, I was going to a lot of meetings, but my job were midnight to four in the morning. I worked at a local newspaper, the Daily Breeze, on their loading dock, and I was stacking newspapers into trucks. I would sleep for a few hours and I would go to meetings. And then uh, in the afternoon, I delivered packages. My brother had an air freight company and there was a subcontractor that delivered packages and he got me a job with the subcontractor. So those are my two jobs. And uh, again, you got to remember, I have two degrees. I have, I have a degree in religious study or minor in religious studies and a degree in English literature. I'd also been a professional musician. So these were very humbling, these jobs. I couldn't pay my bills. There was probably no way I was ever going to move out of my parents' house. And, and that's also something we should talk about. When you're new and they say you're going to be happy, joyous, and free, I don't know about anybody else, but my problems were big. And when I was living at my parents' house and I had kind of an old beat up used car and I wasn't drinking, I thought they meant you're going to be happy, joyous, and free and live at your parents' house for the rest of your life. <laughs> you, know, you don't really know how life is going to invite you along and how you're going to get out of your situations. And I think if we pay attention to that over time, that's enough to believe in a higher power that lots of things transpire that you can't help that get you out of the situation you're in that had very little to do with you. So for me, while that was happening in that phase of my life, my brother got me an interview with another guy who ran an air, an air freight warehouse. And I did very well in the interview. I'm not drunk now. I'm back to being kind of articulate. I can think linearly like other people do. And I answered the questions and he said, man, I think you're going to have the job. And it was, you know, I would go from making like $9,000 a year to $30,000 a year by the next week, you know? And he said, the job's eight o'clock at night till like six in the morning, you're the swing shift. So I got very excited. I was going to finally make enough money to move out of my parents' house, buy a decent car, pay more child support, be a member of society. And I went back, drove by my brother's office on the way. And I told him, and he said, when is it? And I said, it's eight, eight to, uh, to four in the morning or six in the morning. And he said, oh, you can't take that job. And I said, what are you talking about? It's for whatever, 30 or 40 grand a year. And he said, yeah, but isn't your home group on Mondays at 8 p.m.? And don't you go to the Tuesday night step study at seven? And, you know, you're only six months sober. Do you think you can just stop doing that? And I said, well, there's a lot of meetings. You know, I could go to that noon meeting I've been going to. And he goes, yeah, really, the noon meeting. Is that where you're getting your spiritual food? Or is it the Monday night men's stag and the Tuesday night step study and the Wednesday night meditation meeting? And, and I just chalked it up to let's end this conversation. My brother is crazy. So I, I, I said, yeah, you're right. And I left and thought, he's crazy. I'm, I'm going to take that job. I get to the meeting that night. I tell my sponsor about it. And he goes, oh, that's fantastic. I go, when do you start? And I go, well, I won't be here next week because it's from eight o'clock at night till four or six in the morning. And he said, oh, you can't take that job. And I thought he was crazy. <laughs> I was like, what is wrong with you AA people? And he was very patient with me. And he said, look, look at your life. You know, you're starting to get life's coming into you. You're starting to be a contributor with your, your parents and you've changed. She said, you know, you, you don't understand if you stop doing this the way you're doing it, you're going to stop getting the results. And I, and I didn't take the job. And that's a third step. Mm. I, I, everything that would have been self-preserving would have said, take this job, but spiritual steps are the opposite. In the fifth step, it says uh, all of AA's 12 steps make us go against our natural instincts, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so I didn't take the job as a caveat, just so 
for the listening audience, about four months later, I was on the loading dock of my brother's company, going to deliver some packages. And uh, this guy came up and he looked very familiar about four or five months later, well-dressed guy. And he said, are you guys hiring? I'm a warehouse manager. And he handed me his resume and he was the guy that was going to hire me. His company went bankrupt. So I actually lucked out. I didn't take, I didn't mess up all my meetings and take a job that would have, you know, been good for six months. And so, you know, whether that happened or not, the point was, is that's kind of what a third step actually looks like, right? Is when I say, I'm going to go against my self-will, believe these people, understand, you know, um, I'd like to give another example, but first I want to say, when you do a third step and you're new, we understand if you're new and you're listening to this podcast, we understand that you have no idea what you're doing. And I want you to know when I did a third step, I was basically agreeing so I could move along in the steps. And my, <laughs> my sponsor had me get on my knees in his kitchen and hold his hands. And he said the third step prayer, part of it, God, I offer myself to thee. And then I said, God, I offer myself to thee. And he said, to do with me and to build with me as thou wilt. And I said that. And, and I, before I knelt down I, and he said, we were going to do that. I said, I'm not doing that because it just seems crazy. I thought he was a serial killer all of a sudden. I didn't know him very long. And I'm kneeling on the kitchen, holding his hands. I mean, that's crazy. So I did that. And, and I, the reason I tell that story is because I did something I didn't want to do because I didn't want my life to be the way it was. And it changed. Now, I didn't feel this, oh, my God, I've turned my will and my life over to God. I still argued with everybody. I still blamed everybody. But I, I started, right? So really what happens over time is you turn your will and your life over to the care of God because you trust the God that made today okay is going to make tomorrow okay. You know, Bill and Jay and I are doing a talk about fear uh, right and now. remind people of who Bill and Jay are. Okay, and- Bill... C, who has been on this podcast, and JS. Bill is my sponsor and Jay is his sponsor. And we have for about 17 years traveled around and talked about sponsorship and done weekends on that. But right now we're at the South Bay Roundup today after this podcast, and we're doing part two of a fear um, talk. And Jay has said to me a while ago, you know, fear is the false belief that you will not have the resources you need to meet the challenges of the present moment. And I'm going to repeat that. Fear is the false belief that you will not have the resources you need to meet the challenges of the present moment. And we talked for a little while about that. And he said, you know, it's a false belief, Matthew, because you're 50 something years old and you're still standing here. So clearly every day of your life, you've had the resources you needed to meet the challenges of the present moment. Just sometimes it didn't look like you thought it was going to look. So that in itself is, a, is where you start to develop faith is, hey, you know, right where I am, I've always had what I needed to deal with the problem right in front of me. Where I get messed up is when I'm looking around the corner and I think that problem that's coming tomorrow, that phone call or that bill or that truth I'm going to have to tell tomorrow, that's the end of me. And I get into the fear that I'm not going to be okay or I'm not going to have the resources I need. And step three is, you, you know, you do it because we ask you to. And then you live it a while, like you don't take that job. I'll give, I'm going to give one more extreme example and we can move on to fourth step. My wife had a stroke when I was five years sober. And I had a little baby who was one and I had a little boy 
who was, uh, I was seven years sober and uh, eight, eight. I had a little baby who was one, a little baby who was five. And Phoebe, the daughter that was born the day I got sober was eight. And she was in um, ICU, uh, didn't look good. She was uh, maybe going to die. And um, I was living in ICU and then they kicked me out and I was living in a hotel across the street where I could look in her window. And about seven days into this, I'm supposed to be going to training for a new job. And I go to Bill and I say, you know, I got to call that company where I got this new job and I have to tell them I can't come to training. And he said, why can't you go to training? And I said, well, it's in Chicago, Pips and UC Irvine in the in ICU. And he said, well, are you a doctor? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, what are you going to do, visitor? And he said it kind of like that, you know, you get a visitor. And I said, Bill, my wife, the love of my life is in ICU. And he said, yeah, and you have no income and three children. Your wife just had a stroke. She's not going back to work. You go to that training. We'll watch your wife. And he said, and I, another thing, when you go to that training, you don't tell anybody at that company that your wife's in the hospital with a stroke because no one wants a new guy with problems. So once again, I kind of thought, okay, Bill's a little crazy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to follow his advice, but I was surprised by it. And I was living at UC Irvine, practically in the ICU. So I went and talked to Pip. She was lying there and all distorted and paralyzed and scared. And I said, hey, babe, you know, Bill just said this crazy thing. And, and I told her and she didn't look at me. She had a, couldn't move very well. And she thought for a while and we were sitting quietly, which we do very comfortably with each other. And she said, you know, Bill's never really steered you wrong. I don't think he's trying to be mean to you. I think he wants to help us. And I can't believe it, but I got on a plane and I went to Chicago when my wife was in ICU. And I got many messages on my cell phone. Hey, don't worry. We took your wife lunch at the hospital. She's looking great, man. Everything's good. Is it okay if we put up your Christmas tree? All these AA people, while I'm sitting in this classes studying cardiovascular medicine, wondering if my wife is going to be alive at the end of the day. And you guys made me not want to go to the bar. I'm not anywhere near AA. I'm in the middle of this big thing. And, and I... Flew home two weeks in. I snuck home and checked on her and flew back. I was in training for almost four weeks. And I got out and uh, I had a good job. No one knew that my wife had a stroke. Uh, I wasn't the new guy with problems. So that's a really good example of what step three really looks like. Uh, I, and I will tell you this. I was having a cigar with Bill, my sponsor, about five years ago. So 16 years after I was in that situation. And he said, you know what? Remember when I told you to go to Chicago when Pip was in ICU? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I can't believe you followed that advice. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? I thought I had to. And he goes, no, I was very impressed that you did that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've just finished with this. I have a friend, Aiden. He's a really good dude. And he's a, he said, I work a perfect third step. And I'm always curious because it's an ambiguous step to a lot of people. Like, what does that mean? And Aiden said, well... When I wake up in the morning, I have a lot of plans on the weekends. I want to go dirt bike riding with my son. I want to do something at the house and fix it up. Or maybe I want to go to the beach. But what I do now is I just roll over. I wake up Terry, my wife, and say, what do you want to do today? 
And he said, so my third step is I turn my will and my life over to the care of my wife for the weekends. And he said, and I'm having a really great time of it. And I really love that because it really is like, let go of my will and see how I can add to life. And I just, just coincidentally wrote a text to Aiden this morning because I had plans. I'm trying to eat really healthy. And I had these several talks to do today in this podcast. Yeah, but I thought I should lay around in bed as long as I can with Pip. And I said, whatever Pip wants to do until 1030, I'm going to do. And we ended up having cheesecake for breakfast. So I wanted to thank Aiden for letting me. He said, hey, we made a cheesecake. We didn't eat it. Let's have cheesecake for breakfast. So sometimes <laughs> you turn your will and your life over to the care of something else. You get big rewards. So <laughs> I wanted to share that with you guys. Oh, that's great. <laughs> okay, Matthew, we have run into what we normally run into, which is a good problem. Uh, we're we're kind of getting uh, close to time here. So will you do me a favor, right? I know we're not finished up here. Right. I would like you to come back uh, at some other point and maybe we could pick up from uh, either the end of surrender number three right. or the beginning of a surrender number four. Would that be okay with you? Absolutely. Love to do that. Thanks. Okay, let me go ahead and read this. I'll close this out here. This is from page 164 of the big book. And it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank Thanks, you for God. your vulnerability and uh, your insight. Much appreciated. Thank you, John. It's my pleasure. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Matthew, for leading us through surrenders one through three. Um, and as mentioned at the, by the way, and I do like that idea of, um, cheesecake for breakfast. I'm wondering how many of the listeners out there may give that a go here over the next few weeks or so. Nonetheless, uh, as we ended up the episode, we mentioned that we're going to continue this series with Matthew. Uh, we're going to have him back on for surrenders or steps four, five, six, and seven next week. So be sure to tune back in next week and you can hear Matthew again, uh, continue on in this series. I really am looking forward to hearing, letting you guys hear that particular episode. All right, now on to a little bit of a listener feedback. And, and we have quite a bit, which is good. You guys are absolutely amazing. I love it. Vona writes in and she says, hi, I'm Vona. I'm assuming that's Vona. Could be Vana, V-O-N-A. Not sure, but I'm going with it. She says, I'm Vona. Uh, I'm an alcoholic. And I've been saying that and I've been saying that out loud for 37 days. In other words, that she's an alcoholic. I'm in AA now. I have a sponsor. I'm working the steps. And it's weirdly both incredibly hard and comforting. I'd love to subscribe to your podcast. How do I do that? Well, Vona, I am so glad you have made 37 days, and hopefully, I'm, and I'm sure, more than 37 days by the time we you are actually listening to this particular episode. It's lovely. And you know, I have people asking me all the time, by the way, how do you subscribe to the podcast? First of all, it's free and it's easy. If you go to, there's so 
there's a million different ways to do this, all right? Uh, but if you go to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and you look at the right hand of the screen, it'll give you about four or five links there, one to Spotify, one to uh, uh, iTunes, uh, or they're called Apple Podcasts nowadays, one called one to, to Google Podcasts, another to Stitcher, uh, and you can click on all those links, and it'll take you to SoberSpeak there, and then you just click on those and you subscribe. But thank you for writing in, Bona. Jesse writes in. He says, my name is Jesse. I live in Aurora, California. I am five and a half years sober. I found Sober Speak through the Recovery Podcast. I listen to both on a regular basis. Just in case you are not familiar with the Recovery Podcast, that is a podcast by my friend Spencer T. Uh, and it is uh, strictly focused on Al-Anon over there on their side. So if you're interested in Al-Anon and you haven't found that podcast, I would highly recommend it. Nonetheless, uh, Jesse says, I'm a big fan of Sandy Beach. I wish he was still around. Uh, and for those of you who may not be familiar with Sandy Beach, he uh, was an, an icon in Alcoholics Anonymous. He has passed now. Uh, you can find his tapes and anywhere. Uh, but anyway, uh, so so he says, I'm a big fan of Sandy, Sandy Beach. I mostly listen to enjoy the speakers. The step, and he's talking about Oh, I mostly enjoy listening to the speakers is what he said. He's talking about uh, Sober Speak. The Steps workshops are helpful, but I've been through the Steps a few times, so not that much. They would have been helpful in my earlier recovery. I'm a big fan of emotional sobriety. By the way, I have, there's a gentleman that I know, uh, and uh, he does workshops on the emotional sobriety he does emotional sobriety workshops and i'm and i'm uh trying to get him booked on the podcast he's in the middle of a move right now but uh, i plan on getting him on here and we can go through a, a series of emotional sobriety i'm looking forward to that as well anyway jesse says i'm a divorce attorney with five children divorced myself and now remarried to an al-anon who is divorced from her alcoholic she has one child, so that's six total. I'm doing a presentation for the Colorado Bar Association next month on addiction and divorce, and I listed your podcast as a great resource in my outline. Well, thank you, Jesse. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but it is a little bit ironic, right? You got a divorce attorney that's a divorce and married to a divorced woman. Uh, so, but hey, you know, that, that's the way of life nowadays. Anyway, keep up the good work, he says. Thank you, Jesse. Kim writes, in. And Kim says, hi, Johnny Cakes. <laughs> That's me, folks. I wanted to connect to the speaker meeting on Zoom you had last night. Oh, she's talking about, I sent out a, uh, uh, an email. By the way, if you're not on my email list and you would like to be, send me your name or send me your email to john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. And uh, when we have special events and such, I'll send out a little email. And so I sent out a, a meeting that we were having with a gentleman named Bobby C. Uh, and I was going to be recording him. But she says, but my slow internet does not let me do stuff like that. I really wanted to join in, though, because yesterday was my 11 years of not drinking. That is approximately 4,017 days. Well, Kim, congratulations on your 11 years of not drinking. That's absolutely amazing. 
And she says, and I also figured out I was a pro- that was approximately 25,000 bottles of beer not drank had I kept drinking at the same pace, although it probably would have been higher as the years passed by. Yeah, probably. You're right, Kim. Instead, here I am, happy, healthy, and quote, not, unquote, looking like an old bar hag. Yay, me. <laughs> Keep up the good work, kind sir. And then she says, mucho respectos. <laughs> and then she says in parentheses, I'm making fun of your Espanola. Uh, laugh out loud. Uh, Kim M. Thank you, Kim M. <laughs> I appreciate you writing in. And congratulations on your 11 years. Really is. That's fantastic. Joe writes in from the Outback, not the Outback, the restaurant, but Outback the in Australia. She says, I'm in an online support group, John, for alcohol and drugs on Tuesday afternoon. I was asked what my coping strategies were, and I may have name dropped your podcast. The leader of the group, who is an accredited counselor, asked me to tell her about it. I'm guessing your podcast is about to get a few more listeners, big smiley faces, three of them. I love your work, guys, Joe. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. And all you over there in Australia, uh, I just, I love it when I get notes from Australia, New Zealand. Well, I love it when I get them from anywhere, but uh, uh, thank you guys for listening over there. Really appreciate it. Irene writes in, and Irene says, John, I listened to one podcast of yours, at least one, sometimes more each day. I found your, I found your site by accident. You know, there are no coincidence and accidents, right? I just love it. I am the mother of an alcoholic. I say the more I know about alcoholism, the less I know. I understand that. For those of you, for those of us on the outside, it is pretty much a mistake mysterious illness. Well, for those on the inside, it's kind of the same as far as I'm concerned, Irene. Anyway, she she says, your podcasts from such beautiful people are better than any sermon or homily. Everyone can get a lift from your speakers. My girls and I now listen. Alcoholism is a family disease. Relatives and family members of alcoholics can learn so much by listening. I had the pleasure of listening or of hearing Jimmy D live at one time. All of your speakers are just amazing. I am telling everyone I know about the podcast. Here's another quote coincidence. I have friends with some ladies. I've been friends with some ladies for over 25 years and four or five of us have alcoholic children. I used to say it must have been in the water where we raised our family. These were good families. So it has been a mystery to all of us. I have lunch with them. I will have lunch with them in a few days and I will tell them about your podcast. Thanks again and bless you for all the work you do, Irene. Well, thanks, Irene, and thanks for passing on the word of Sober Speak, but but mainly just uh, thank you for your involvement in recovery and your willingness to learn and uh, your willingness to pass on the message to others. That is fantastic. 
Dennis writes in, he says, John, my name is Dennis. I'm 59 years old and I have five weeks clean. Yay, Dennis. I went through this program back in the 90s and put together 18 years of sobriety until I had three back and one neck surgeries and I got on the opioid and it was a slow descent and it ended up drinking and ended up with drinking pills, crack, and eventually divorced, jailed, and homeless. Six years later, I'm struggling to put together significant time. My biggest challenge is what to do with myself. I'm bored and discontented. It's hard to go to meetings all day with COVID. Uh, I think what he's saying is basically with COVID going on, a lot of the meetings have disappeared. I get it, my friend. Dennis, hang in there. You keep me posted, my friend. I appreciate your vulnerability, but it sounds like you were on the right track again. God bless you, my friend. Tracy writes in and she says, hey, John, thanks for reaching out. I'm pleased I was in a position to offer a little something for the cause. A few months ago, I'd have claimed poverty whilst drinking a bottle of wine in under 40 minutes. I'm in the UK in a town called Northampton, and I found your podcast by searching AA on Spotify. Spotify. For the Brits. Um, I've been sober for just over 12 weeks now, and I have no doubt that is by the grace of God, or quote, source, as I like to call it. But I finally realized I couldn't do it on my own despite being dry. I was actually getting, I wasn't actually getting any better. No magic, quote, poof. Your problems are all gone, unquote. If only instead I turned to a depressed suicidal nutter, nutter, that's a British word right there, who finally reached out to the AA a few days ago once I realized how arrogant I was in proclaiming my ability to heal myself. Ha, what a notion. So terrified had I become of the human interaction in the fear of rejection, both real and imagined, I cut myself off from any external opportunities to seek assistance. And of course, I was in utter denial, even though I'd admitted I had a dependency issue with booze. I haven't, I haven't made it to a meeting yet, and I don't have a sponsor, but I've been listening to your podcast and reading the big book in the meantime to keep me on the path before I can get to a virtual meeting <clears throat> this weekend in my locality. I do have a lovely lady who I call on, though I'm not, so I'm not alone. The message of hope that you have been sharing uh, uh, have me in tears in one moment and laughing my arse off. <laughs> have, have me in tears one moment and laughing my arse off the next. A-R-S-E. Hearing about your journey and the journey of others is beautiful and I can't tell you how much hope it's brought me. It's the only thing I got to take away from your podcast was that I wasn't alone, then it would be more than anyone has given me in a lifetime. Oh, Tracy, that's so wonderful. I'm glad we can be part of your journey. I really am. And, you know, and that's why I read these things, folks. You know, I mean, 
It is to, I, I guess, a couple of reasons. Number one, that helps build us as a community together. And when I say us, not only sober speak, but the recovery community and Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole, whole it helps to bring us together. And also, when I read y'all's uh, plights, on the podcast, well, other people can relate to it. And I, I get, I get notes about what I have read from you guys all the time. And so it, it, it's just that we can all come in here, be vulnerable. And I can guarantee you, Tracy, what you were experiencing, you were not the only one. I mean, I could probably shoot a rifle from my spot that I'm sitting in right now and find somebody that is experiencing the exact same thing. It is all around us. Anyway. Uh, so then it goes on and, uh, she says, um, I'm up to podcast eight with Samara lovely as it has been to hear your gorgeous American accents. <laughs> it's been lovely to hear British tones. And she's talking about Samara. Uh, Samara is uh, somebody who I've had on the podcast a couple, three times. Uh, and we actually had her scheduled for a live event at one time, but I had to cancel because of coronavirus. It's such a drag. But nonetheless, uh, um, she's talking about uh, Samara because she is from uh, Great Britain as well. And she says, I've identified with all of your guests so far in some way, shape, or form, which feels like a divine confirmation to me and that I'm on the right path and no longer in denial. With masses of gratitude in my heart and wishing you the very best, I thank you, Tracy are. P.S. I'd love to get an invitation to the super secret Facebook group. Well, Tracy, as you know, you are in that super secret Facebook group now and uh, masses of gratitude back to you. My love. Can I say my love? Isn't that kind of a British thing to say? Yes, my love. And we're so glad to have you along for the ride with us. Niels writes it. I think it's Niels, N-I-E-L-S, could be Niles, uh, nonetheless. He says, hi, John. I live in Fargo, North Dakota for the past one and a half years. Before that, a majority of my 53 years were spent in Minnesota, Minnesota, in the Alexandria and Wilmar areas. I have known that I am an alcoholic for at least 15 years. Dad was so. Um, they do not though they do not necessarily follow though. Ooh, I don't know what that's saying there. My sister can take it or leave alcohol, right? I ran into issues. If you call being drunk and despondent with your girlfriend left with you and your girlfriend left you issues. Anyway, one night I was drunk. Again, with a pistol in my hand, not loaded, but that, but it was just in the other room, not loaded, but the bullets were in the other room, close enough to go and get it. That scared me. I have been sad and lonely, but never enough to take out a gun and caress it like it was the answer to my prayers. So that was in March of this year. By fits and starts, I stay sober. Four months at one point, four days at another. Anyway, thanks, John. I hope I, be, I can be a benefit of, to the group. He's talking about the Facebook group, which he's in. You know what they say, one helped, two saved, Niles. And he's talking about in the super secret Facebook group, there's a gentleman in there named Mr. Steve R. 
Steve R is like, I don't know, I call him our daily reflections guy. He puts their things in there, quotes all the time from the big book, and then he uh, elaborates on them, and then he always ends it up with save one, help two. Uh, or what is it? Is a save two help? I, I, one help save two. I can't remember what it is. I'm so sorry, Steve R., if you're listening. But thank you for writing in, Niles. Brian writes in, and the title of his email is various and sundry thoughts and ideas, mostly just a lot of gratitude. (laughs) All right. I like that. Mr. John, he says, well, there you go. The respect that I so deserve, folks. Mr. John. (laughs) Greetings, my friend. He says, what a joy to discover the Sober Speak podcast. Meet you and hear all the many beautiful shares from those who have experienced the higher power in their life, who has done for them what they could not do for themselves, a blessing indeed. Yet another to add to my list that knows no end. I've listened to many of the podcast episodes. That's, gr- that's a great adjective for some of my experiences while drinking and have enjoyed them one and all. I've also learned some things that I didn't know. What a revelation. There are things I didn't know, question mark, exclamation point. Just kidding, my friend. The more I know, the more I realize I do not know. And he capitalized all that. Another blessing that there is so much to learn, triple exclamation point. If the qualifications for acceptance into the super secret Facebook group aren't too high, I'd like to submit my name for consideration (laughs) as a new recruit. But I totally understand if I'm not qualified well enough. Well, you are qualified, Brian, and as you know, we got you over the uh, the invite. John, I would like to submit as part of my CV for consideration that I'm already a member of, of the alcohol of, of the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and the God of my understanding has kept me sober now for a little over three years. Three years, exclamation point. Isn't that miraculous, exclamation point. Of course, you don't know me personally yet, and thankfully, you didn't know me when I was drinking alcohol. Back, But back even then, when I was drinking, the men and women of the fellowship accepted me as a member of AA, and they haven't kicked me out yet. That probably is another miracle now that I think of it. Now, I do have a confession to make. Mm, wonder what's coming up here. As I've been writing this email, I've also been in attendance at one of the Zoom meetings and I attended it and I shared the link to episode 117 with Jimmy D, AA History, with this small group of drunks because I got such a good dose of the quote, real AA from that episode. And to be perfectly honest, I'm hoping some of the folks will tune into your podcast and get some of the other moments of clarity that I have found among the episodes you have shared with us all, exclamation point. It is probably appropriate for me to explain my use of the term, quote, real, unquote, AA. By real AA, what I mean is the humanness of the first members of our fellowship. At times I've heard others and have been guilty of all of it myself speak of Bill and Bob 
very reverently with a tone of worshipful adoration. What I got from Jimmy Shearer was that Bill and Bob were just like me. Sick, suffering alcoholics who had found a solution and set about trying to share it. They embarked upon a series of happenstance, misadventures, and stumbling fits and starts that were surely that surely would have ended up in abject failure and disgrace time and time again. And you know what? A higher power blessed their comically tragic best human efforts and turned it into a beautiful demonstration of his unconditional love for each and every one of us pitiful and incomprehensible drunks. For this alcoholic, that is, quote, real AA. Oh, Brother John, as happens too often, what I started as a quick thank you note, has begun to read like a bad novel, laugh out loud. I still have character defects, and I'm grateful for God that he, and what, I'm grateful that God isn't done with me yet. Assuming you have made it to this point, we have, buddy, we have, Brian. Uh, Assuming you have made it to this point, oh no, I lost my place. I still have made it to this point. Please allow me to commend you for your patience and thank you so much for your service word and for trudging this road of happy destiny with me. Well, likewise, Mr. Brian, I'll be continuing to peruse the episodes of Sober Speak and pray that God will bless your efforts mightily so that more may recover and join us. Perhaps our paths will cross at some point and we can shake hands or bump fists or just smile in a social distancing kind of way. If you're ever in search of a Zoom meeting and you want to attend, Come join us at the page 132 group, and then he gives me the Zoom information. We're Texans too, so you'll understand the dialect of the English and feel right at home. Blessings in sobriety, Brian. Well, Brian, thank you for writing all that. God bless you. You are quite a writer, my friend. I wish I could write like that. I'm uh, I'm more of a talker and not even a great talker. I just kind of wing it as I go along here. So, But God bless you, my friend, and thank you. And I'll try to make that meeting. It's called, once again, the Page 132 Group. And I know it's on Page 132. It's all that happy, joyous, and free, and some other stuff. Anyway, thank you, Brian. Bernie writes in, and this is the final bit of listener feedback, folks. Uh, Like I said, we had a little bit this week. John says, hi, my name is Bernie. I live in southwest Michigan in a small town called Doa." Doajiak. It's about an hour South Bend. Uh, it's about an hour from South Bend, Indiana. We have many lakes nearby, and most of my customers, he has a painting business, by the way, live in Chicago and have cottages. I am 65, and I have been a functional alcoholic since I was 18, somehow holding on to the business but failing in many relationships. I grew up with an alcoholic dad, but he did teach me good work ethics. My family never went to church, and everything I had involved alcohol, like holidays, family get-togethers, and for the everyday, my dad. My dad ended up taking his life when he was 49 years old. I'm sorry, Bernie. This did not slow down my drinking. I finally had a counselor friend 
get me into the Christian into a get me into a Christian rehab, which opened me up to the Bible, God, and Jesus. We also went to AA meetings while there. I kept up with the meetings and started to attend church when I got out. I stayed sober for a while, but started attending church, which talked me into trusting Jesus and not needing the meetings. This worked for a while, but I crashed and burned going back to worse than ever. It's been like that for almost 40 years, going back and forth. I've been to liberal churches, fundamental King James-only churches, celebrate recovery meetings, former unanimous meetings, AA meetings, big book thumper meetings, moderate drinking, and finally picking up where I left off and even worse. Before COVID hit our country, after really researching the church history, I, uh, before COVID hit our country, after really researching church history, Bible translations, the doctrine of hell, uh, and thinking about all the people in the world that were born into the wrong place, family, or time, or ever hearing about Jesus and going to hell and not believing the good news gospel, I came to the point where I completely lost my faith. With the stay-at-home order in effect for a while, I was drinking more than ever. Six weeks ago, my family of 30 years could take no more and was leaving for good and called my family and was going to have me committed. My, my, my wife had 30 years, by the way, she, he said. With a serious hangover that day, I was unable to work. I got a good look at myself and I was going to do her I got a good look at myself and what I was doing to her and others and myself. It was truly a, quote, moment. And I had had them before, but I really believe this may be my last. That day, I got online and ran across AA Beyond Belief. And I began reading the articles, listening to John's podcast, and buying many books he has recommended. By the way, what he's talking about there is there is a podcast called AA Beyond Belief. And I've been on that with John before, John S. Uh, and John, um, it, it is a uh, agnostic, atheist, uh, I guess a kind of alternative type of uh, traditional AA. And he has a really good podcast over there. Anyway, uh, you ought to check it out if you're uh, um, if you're interested. Anyway, uh, Bernie says, uh, I have been in touch with him, John S., and support his podcast. It has kept me sober these six weeks. It also led me to you. I heard your interview, John M., on his podcast. I thought you were both so gracious to each other, and that really touched me. I see so much divide in this country, in churches, in AA. And one main thing, I've learned being sober these six weeks is the need to change my, uh, I have the need to change my thinking, to accept others and respect their beliefs. I truly believe the steps can help me with this, along with others who have been at it longer than me. Well, John, sorry for dragging this out. I haven't had the chance to share much with anyone. I haven't been bold enough yet to share uh, on any Zoom meetings. John, thanks for all you do, Bernie. Well, Bernie, I'm glad to give you the platform to where you can share and get these things out there and start your healing process and start uh, your your new journey of sobriety. God bless you. All right, everybody. That's a wrap for this week. 
God bless you. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. As I always say, I'm one week at a time. I'm going to try to make it back next week if I can, all right? Love you all. Bye-bye now.